This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is to educate, teach, and also put this whole down day in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What do you do? What do you do on a day like today? Where the Dow dipped 177 points. S&P gave up 0.67%. NASDAQ lost 0.52% after what's been a tremendous run. Do you use this weakness to take a swing? Buy, 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 buy. Or do you recognize we're up so much that it's too late to take a profit? Sell, 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 sell. Or that it's not too late. Boy, it's hard to figure, isn't it? Well, let's do it together. Let's figure this together. First of all, if you've been waiting for a pullback to do some buying, un- un- I'm going to put it right, right now. This is your moment. This week, we're going to run a gauntlet of important earnings reports. And while I think we can get through it okay, I bet there will be some damage. And you know what? That damage is your first chance for long-term investors to buy into weakness this year. And I'm telling you, I want you to take it. That's right. I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I'm just out there. I'm saying this. I, I recommend using any additional pullback to put some money in an index fund that mirrors the market. If you want to be really granular, I would actually put in a little bit each day. Because we don't know how things are going to play out, but this is a fulcrum week. It's a really important week. Fact is, when we get a dip, that's your chance, that's your time to put retirement money to work. More than a fifth of the companies in the S&P 500 report this week. And we've had a market that's been going practically straight up. I don't think the odds favor another leg up at this moment, if only because we're far more vulnerable to letdown now that we're coming into this morning session. Why? Because selling but get selling for so many people, which is why, why I'm trying to get you to use this week and next, perhaps, as a way to contribute. Let's start putting a little money to work, a little each day. If you have $2,000 to contribute, I suggest using half of that this week, then wait to see what happens. Notice, I'm not even discussing the idea of taking money out for retirement. Remember, as I've been saying for years, we have tons of baby boomers who grew up believing that you need to shift your money into bonds aggressively as you get to your 50s and 60s, or else you won't have anything left for retirement. I'm telling you that's wrong. If you plan to live to your 80s or 90s these days, reasonable assumptions. Bonds likely won't give you enough of a return to support yourself. Instead, high-quality stocks with bountiful and growing dividends that can be reinvested are the best way to go. And an S&P 500 index fund is a great way to get that dividend exposure, particularly because one-fifth of them report. It's going to impact the S&P 500, and that's your chance. Now, some might argue with the 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds now yielding 2.7%, highest in three years, that that represents decent competition to dividend stocks and thus deserves to be part of the mix. I say not yet. There will come a time when Treasuries make sense as an investment for people other than the very oldest viewers. 
But at the moment, I still think a risk-free 2.7% return is pretty crummy versus what you're likely to get from an index fund. And yes, I started with index funds because on Twitter, for the last few days, I've seen way too many people wanting to buy what I consider to be junk. So I'm starting with index funds because I don't want you in junk. I'm not talking about junk bonds. I'm talking about junk stocks. So let's get $10,000 in the index fund, and then we'll start talking about individual stocks. And for those of you who are already there, we have got to tackle some stocks head on right now. So let's start with the elephant in the room. Let's start with Apple. This Thursday, the largest company on earth reports. And I am, i say it, I am indifferent to the quarter. Indifferent. I know that sounds like the equivalent of punting on fourth and two, something the Eagles like to go for. Betting that the defense can stop the Bears and you get the ball back. But let me tell you why I have this position. It's not necessarily a change from where I was. Some of you may interpret it as that, but it's important. First, I think that in some ways, Apple, the stock, not the company, but the stock, has been set up to fail. So many analysts have insisted on saying that this company's got a super cycle going for it, thanks to the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10. All I can tell you is that this super cycle garbage designation is like the old Sports Illustrated curse where an athlete peaked as soon as he or she made it on the cover of the magazine. That superstition seems to have fallen by the SI wayside, but the super cycle curse is still very much with us in the stock market. The last three super cycle designations in stocks were one, coal going into the brutal 2011 collapse, two, oil, and then three, fracking sand going into the 2014 collapse, right before the peak. Now, some of these injuries were self-inflicted. Peabody Energy, then the largest coal company around, would talk to anyone about the coal super cycle. The rest of the industry was equally as bullish. That is, before they all collapsed, along with worldwide coal pricing. The fracking sand and oil super cycles were all about the price of crude going through the roof, 100, 110, 120, 140. A few months after we started hearing this chatter, oil didn't go through the roof. It went through the floor. Apple, to its everlasting and good credit, never bought into this nonsense. They never used the super cycle phrase once. I tried to get them to see. I said, are you guys going super cycle? No. No. Never. The super cycle in Apple, figment of research firms that I think may have been faux bulls all along because they were setting Apple up to fail when the company gives guidance. It's not up to super cycle standards, whatever the heck that might be. And we're talking about the guidance after they report their quarter. These faux bulls want to turn into real bears. You know what they want to do? They want to say, hey, you know how you thought Apple stock was cheap? Well, we're slashing estimates. And now against these lower numbers, the stock looks expensive. As for me, I know better. I never thought there would be an iPhone supercycle. I never bought into that junk. I do think there are a series of better and better smartphones that Apple offers that appeal to tens of millions of loyal customers. I can remember how the analysts got all bulled up in 2015 when the stock was in the 130s. And then they fled from it like, like the plague when it hit 90. Of course, I don't know what Apple will report. I don't know what it's going to say. I just don't want people to flee from this stock and then not be able to get back in when it turns out the new products have legs 
and the service revenue stream becomes huge and they return capital, but the stock's lower than it is here. Does Apple stock have a bad feel? <laughs> no kidding. Yes. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Can it go down? Hey, newsflash, all stocks can go down. But long term, I'm still a believer in the idea that it's safer to own Apple, not to trade it. Oh, sure, I want every stock, including Apple, to behave more like Netflix, which just won't quit because it turns out that the total addressable market is worth a heck of a lot more than people thought going into the quarter. But the trajectory of Netflix is the exception, not the rule. Also exceptional, Amazon, which, like Netflix, has been running going into its quarter on Thursday. And I bet it runs afterwards, too, because I expect the numbers to be excellent. Unfortunately, Apple's not Netflix. And when Apple goes down, it takes the stocks of all its suppliers with it, by the way. No need to buy those until you see the whites of Apple's eyes. How about the cyclical stocks that gave up so much ground today? I still like them. Cyclicals are multi-year stories that ebb and flow, especially the aerospace cycle. This time, though, that's the stocks that ebb and flow. The businesses know the businesses are good. They're benefiting from the synchronized global expansion we talk about all the time. I know it's a cliche, but it's one that works. These stocks may go down for a day or two, maybe even a week. But this roaring economy means they'll bounce back. I'm not seeing any safety net. I'm just saying that they get inexpensive when they go down. Drugs? All right, we need more days uh, like today. Shake out some of the Sunshine Patriots. Kind of like what happened with the biotechs before they caught fire and are now the strongest group in the market. Banks? With interest rates going higher, the financials are best in show. You have to hope for the unthinkable, that Apple's guidance is so weak that it pulls down everything. And if that's the case, you want to go with J.P. Morgan. Jamie Dimon signed on for a bunch more years. It's the best place to buy. The banks are cheap. They will remain that way until they move well up from where they are currently trading and the Fed raises hikes. Wouldn't it be some Fed raise hike this week? Unlikely. The bottom line, I am urging you to be ready for more volatility. Understand that you can trade some of these big techs all you want. My take, you need to own stocks like Apple. Don't trade them. But keep in mind that you may need to take some short-term pain the house of pain. Before you get some long-term gain. House of pleasure. We're going to Bo in North Carolina. Bo. Hello, Dr. Kramer. Big booyah from Bo Birch in Wrightsville Beach. Well, I hope to first do no harm. What's happening? Well, this stock was up over 30% last year, Dr. Kramer. And the question is, as our companies are investing more and more in technology infrastructure, significant enhancements such as 5G, the Internet of Things, autonomous driving systems where GPS reliability will be mission critical. What are your thoughts about Corning, GLW? Great American company that's on the comeback. I remember the 2000, 2002 period. I thought they never recovered, but they have. Ah. Oh, sorry, wrong. Hit the wrong button. Can you imagine that, Regina? I hit the wrong button. Bye, bye, bye. You gotta get on your game. I have to get on my game. Thank you. How about Adelaide in Alabama, Adelaide? Hey, Jim, thanks for all you do for the home gamers out here. And we are pulling from the eagle for the eagle uh, from the land of the crimson tide. Oh, uh, you are way too kind. And boy, if that is the case, then we're going to win because the because long time always Listen, wins. Jim, I'm looking around at all of us aging baby boomers and thinking about the need for replacement knees and valves and stents and everything like that. It seems like the medical device group is a good play on the hot health care sector. Jim, what's your take on ticker symbol MDT, Medtronic? Medtronic is about as good as it gets. I, I want to throw in three. I want to do Medtronic. I like Abbott. 
And I like EW, Edwards Life Sciences. Hey, let's do a fourth. Let's do four because you're so kind to wish the Eagles good. And that's Intuitive Surgical, I-S-R-G. But you are so right. Your thesis is right. How smart are our viewers? The smartest in the world. Okay, an increase in volatility could be a And with that, you're going to have some short-term pain. But you can use it to trade some of the big tech stocks like Apple all you want. It's just not my style. I want to own them, and I want to take the pain, okay? That's sometimes what you have to do. You can't get in and out with any precision. All mad tonight with the healthcare sector roaring higher. Can it continue to deliver healthy returns right into this weakness? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. Yeah, special Monday edition. Then, is it time to give Whirlpool a whirl? With news that Trump administration is imposing tariffs on the imported goods, I'm going to tell you if it's time to consider the company or if it's stuck in a spin cycle. And... It's a new year for energy under the Trump administration. But what does it mean for the power companies like AEP? Are they just trapped by the interest rate cycle as usual? I'm going to talk with the CEO. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Even after today's pullback, the market has experienced a truly incredible run. Can we give it that? But what really amazes me about this bull is the breadth, even on the down days. Certain sectors just aren't supposed to go together. They're like oil and water. So when the banks and the industrials are roaring thanks to a stronger economy, investors tend to dump more defensive stocks that can deliver consistent numbers in any environment. Classically, like the healthcare cohort, that's usually dumped. When business is booming, the industrials can give you gigantic year-over-year earnings growth, whereas the healthcares generate the same steady growth that they would have in any other year. Money managers tend to chase the fastest growers, which is why the hedge fund playbook says you need to sell the healthcare stocks at this very moment and load up on the cyclicals. Yet this time appears to be different. As I told you many times, this beast mode market has confounded, confounded the playbook. Since the beginning of the year, the healthcare sector has been roaring right alongside the industrials and the financials, not the utes, not the utilities, but the healthcare's. It's practically unheard of. Again, normally these groups simply don't go up at the same time. They're antithetical. So tonight we're going to go off the charts to figure out if the healthcare rally is for real and sustainable, with the help actually of Mark Chaikin. He's a legendary technician who's the founder and CEO of Chaikin Analytics. You might recognize his name because Chaikin has invented some of the most important tools in technical analysis, the accumulation distribution line, the Chaikin volume indicator, and the one we most often mention, the eponymous Chaikin oscillator and Chaikin money flow. In short, this guy really knows what he's talking about. I like his stuff so much that he and I are doing a teach-in together on Wednesday as part of the Street.com series. It's going to cover some of these things, and I can't wait to do it. I like learning from Mark Chaikin. So what does Chaikin have to say about this conundrum? specifically about healthcare. Over the last four weeks, he points out that the S&P Healthcare ETF has been the best performing sector ETF out there. It's up 10%. At the beginning, this is, by the way, this is just a depiction of, of what I've been talking about. At the, at the beginning of January, it broke out above a triple top. It hasn't looked back since. What's driving this? Can it continue? 
Why don't we do this? Let's take a look at three other charts from three very different parts of the healthcare cohort to get some answers. We're going to start with something that, you know, a company that you and I both know because we've been working on this one, the daily chart of Centene. It's a Kramer fave Medicare and Medicaid provider that we've had on the show a number of times. It's been a huge winner for us. Really counterintuitive. Everybody hated it when we liked it. Centene caught fire last year when the Republicans' attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare imploded because this company is very much levered to government health care spending. Chicken points out that Centene has made a series of new highs over the past 12 months. This is practically a picture-perfect chart. Even when healthcare was uh, the cohort was lagging behind the broader market in 2017, Centene still managed to outperform. So what does Chicken see here? First of all, the stock's very recent peak above 112, up a buck from where it was tra- now tra- trading, was confirmed by the Chicken Money Flow, the CMF, an indicator that measures the level of buying and selling pressure in a given security. For most of the fourth quarter, the check in money flow was very strong. Then it dipped into negative territory in December right here. But for the past couple of weeks, it's suddenly gotten very positive again, suggesting that big institutional money managers have been buying the stock of Centene hand over fist. Meanwhile, the stock has found a nice floor of support at its 50-day moving average, which is 9 bucks below where it's currently trading. Now, Centene has surprised the upside in each of the last four quarters. And it reports again next week, February 6th. Chagin recommends buying it on any pullback down to the 105-107 area ahead of, the earn, of that earnings report. You know what? I agree with him, although I think you'd be very lucky to get that kind of dip. But this is one. Keep this on your radar screen if the selling continues. Maybe it knocks this one down. I think you're going to get a great quarter. Next up, check out a very different daily chart of a stock that we liked, but we were too early. This is Cardinal Health, C-A-H. It's one of the big three drug wholesalers. Last year, Cardinal and its competitors just got obliterated thanks to some very serious fears about falling compressed margins. Also worried that Amazon was going to get in this business. However, in mid-December, the stock broke a nine-month downtrend. Since then, it's been flying in the stratosphere. By the beginning of this month, Cardinal had broken out above the 200-day moving average. The checking money flow went positive a little uh, uh, over two months ago. There. And it's continued to rise, suggesting the buying pressure keeps increasing. See that? Delta there? Okay. Chaykin also notes that the moving average convergence divergence, or what we call the MACD indicator, which helps technicians detect changes in stock's trajectory before they happen, is surging to new highs after making bullish crossover. Okay. Where the black line goes above the red. See, this is really important because what it happened is, is that it anticipated this. That's what we care about. We want to get in ahead. Um, and Cardinal's gone from a hated stock to a beloved stock in no time flat. Chicken suggests uh, buying the stock on a pullback below 73, okay, down less than three bucks from here before the company reports earnings in a week and a half. Boy, I'll tell you, it's reported a series of real terrible quarters. Maybe something if it reported a quarter that actually sustained and justifies this move. Finally, let's talk about the daily chart of a company I like that Chicken doesn't really care for right here, the daily chart of Amgen, the biotech titan with a stock that's been a bat out of hell including today when it made yet another new all-time high, which is a big change from last year when the biotechs were persona non grata on Wall Street. Here's a stock that Chicken feels a whole lot less bullish about. Why? Well, for starters, the Chicken money flow has been choppy, and even now it's only modestly positive. See? Remember, the others were like this, right? This is just doing almost nothing. Unlike Centene or Cardinal, Chicken doesn't see Amgen as being deluged by desperate buyers. Meanwhile, the stock is now nearly 20 points above 
It's 50-day, that way above it. And in the recent past, that short-term moving average has failed to act as a decent floor of support. When Amgen pulled back to the 50-day moving average in October, it didn't find its footing. It just kept declining until it found support at the 200-day moving average. But that's down 25 points from where the stock's currently trading. That would be a real ambush, wouldn't it? Holy cow. In other words, this chart seems to indicate that the downside could get real ugly if something goes wrong. Boy, would I be itching to tell you to buy that if that occurs. Chicken's also worried that something will go wrong when it reports. Remember, they uh, reports have to close on Thursday. And Chaikin points out that the last three quarters in a row have triggered sell-offs in the stock. Just look at this chart, okay? Each of the last three earnings reports has played out badly for shareholders. Meanwhile, analysts have been cutting their earnings at estimates lately. That's why Chaikin recommends ringing the register and taking some profits into Amgen's current strength. I can't blame him. Nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. And given how much Amgen's uh, stock is run going in the quarter, company needs to deliver a real upside surprise or else people will bail on the stock en masse. Why do I like it then? Well, it's got a very good, uh, really, really good anti-migraine drug coming. And uh, it's well in the lead there. And I also like uh, its anti-cholesterol drug. But these are long-term reasons. Short-term, maybe he's got a point. Bottom line, as much as the healthcare stocks have rallied here, the charge is interpreted by Mark Chaikin. Yes, of the Chaikin money flow suggests that this group has been climbing thanks to major accumulation by big institutional money managers. And in many cases, like Cardinal and Centene, he thinks it'll continue. Although in some cases, like total popular fave Amgen, he thinks the stocks run too much. In general, though, Chaikin believes this bizarre out-of-place rally in healthcare is poised to keep going. And I have learned a long time ago not to be on the other side of a chicken trade. All right, much more mad money ahead. Whirlpool shares have soared last week after Trump approved tariffs on foreign competitors. But the analysts are very much split. We got to solve that. Then, what does American Electric Power's earnings say about the health of the utility sector? And do they even matter? I'm talking with the CEO. And what the acquisitions facing Steve Wynn mean for the stock? Stick with Kramer. We're in earnings season. Not every earnings report is straightforward. Some are more prone to a spin cycle. Sometimes a company will deliver mixed numbers that are hard to get your head around. And that's when I got to step in and help sort things out for you. Take Whirlpool, the iconic appliance maker. We all know it, right? Last week was a very eventful week for these guys. First, the Trump administration announced it was going to start imposing tariffs of 20% to 50% on imported washing machines. Oh, boy, is that ever bad news for anyone who wants to buy one of these things? But it's terrific news for Whirlpool. Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. You'd think shareholders would be in hog heaven. But it's more complicated than that, as it often is on Wall Street. Because two days later, Wall Street, uh, Whirlpool reported a quarter that was as confusing as it was controversial. On the one hand, the company posted a solid earnings beat. On the other hand, their guidance for 2018 fell short of Wall Street's expectations. So what happens? You get this kind of thing. Key Bank downgraded the stock from overweight to sector weight. That's Wall Street speak from buy to hold. But then Ray, Raymond James upgraded it from market performer to outperformer, meaning hold to buy. Now, if your head is spinning like you're trapped in a super heavy-duty laundromat machine, 
you are not alone. So upon further review, how was Whirlpool's quarter? And, and was it good or bad? And what should you do with the stock? Now, whenever we get this kind of analyst showdown, I find it helps to put the upgrade and the downgrade against each other to get a read on the best arguments of both sides. Then you can start to form your own opinions. And if the stock goes down, you're steeled. You know what to expect. Now, I should mention that I recommended Whirlpool a little over a year ago as a total Trump stock, precisely because I expected these new washing machine tariffs. However, the stock has been a disappointment. It's down three bucks since then. Granted, I told you to wait for a pullback because I expected the company to have some tough earnings. And, and you've done a lot better if you picked up Whirlpool into the weakness. But this stock has still underperformed both the broader averages and the other industrial manufacturers. Mia culpa. Mia culpa. You can get it right. The reason Whirlpool stock is disappointed? Last year, the company reported a series of weak quarters, weighed down by operational issues and rising raw costs. And I didn't see those coming. And it sure didn't help when we found out that Amazon was partnering uh, partnering with Sears, of all people, to sell Kenmore brand appliances online. Whirlpool stock got slammed on the news as investors began to fret about potential competition, poaching sales and weighing down margins. Although, of course, the Sears uh, situation was a bit chimerical. So as we, we, uh, as we began 2018, people weren't exactly expecting great things from Whirlpool. company had turned into a serial disappointment, frankly. Then last week happened. First, we get these long-awaited washing machine tariffs, which are going to be huge. LG and Samsung together control an astounding 33% of this business. With a 20 to 50% tariff on the washing machines, well, Whirlpool now has the opportunity to capture much of that market share back. Both of these Korean manufacturers are building new facilities in the U.S. to get around this policy, but it's going to take them at least 18 months for those factories to come online. However, it may not be a game-changer. Washing machines are one of many business lines for Whirlpool, so there's only so much that these tariffs can do to move the needle. Still, the White House's move changed the context for Whirlpool's earnings report when we got in on Wednesday night. Now, it was a mixed quarter. While Whirlpool posted an 11 cent earnings beat off of a 399 basis, its sales came in weaker than expected, and the full year forecast was lower than anticipated for both the top and the bottom line. However, you have to remember that this company had been reporting awful earnings reports for ages. This was Whirlpool's first bottom line beat in six quarters, hence why the stock rallied in response to the news. So was this quarter a good quarter, a bad quarter, an okay quarter? Well, sometimes this happens. The analyst community can't make up its own mind. So let's consider this downgrade from Key and the upgrade from Ray J. Both good analysts. Key believes that the positive catalysts here will start to lose their impact over time, while problems like cost inflation and aggressive competition from Samsung will continue to hurt the numbers. They don't hate Whirlpool. They see the stock is stuck in a range. How about the upgrade from Raymond James? All right, this piece starts with some real throat-clearing, uh, let's say, uh, analysis. Let me read you at the beginning. It says, Whirlpool is far from a bulletproof story. The analysts then go on to list a series of negatives. A mixed quarter, depressed margins in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, rising raw material inflation. That's undeniable. Korean appliance makers opening new factories in the U.S. to get around the tariffs. I told you that's 18 months. However, even after all those negatives, Raymond James likes the stock because they see Whirlpool's guidance as being conservative. Thanks to the new tariffs, the fact that the company will likely be able to raise prices and potential strength in the U.S. market, which we know is robust, they believe this thing can go higher. Raymond James sees Whirlpool getting a dollar per share boost to its earnings this year thanks to the improved North American washing machine margins, and that's the Trump administration. 
Plus, the company's now going up against some weak comparisons, which always makes it easier to deliver decent numbers. And while Wall Street was disappointed by Whirlpool's guidance, these bulls point out that those numbers didn't include any benefit from the tariffs or the weaker dollar. Those are two major tailwinds. On top of that, management is forecasting a substantially higher tax rate than many analysts believe is realistic. So it's possible Whirlpool is actually trying to lowball us, meaning they're finally practicing UPOD, under promise and over deliver. They have never done that. That's one of the reasons why it keeps disappointing. So where do I come down? All right, look, Whirlpool has been a troubled manufacturer. And based on the latest numbers, it's clear that the company's still in the process of getting its act together. But if they can deliver, you know what? I think the upside to this stock could be enormous. Using the midpoint of Whirlpool's very conservative guidance, the stock is trading just 12 times earnings here. That's pretty darn cheap. Most of the stocks in this sector trade between 18 and 22 times earnings. Now, it's really cheap, especially when you consider that Whirlpool is one of the main beneficiaries of the Trump administration's protectionist agenda. However, I was wrong when I recommended Whirlpool a year ago while we waited for the White House to take action. The company just kept dropping the ball. Now that they have finally gotten the federal protection I've been looking for, it wouldn't surprise me if Mark Blitzer, the new CEO, actually can turn things around. I'm impressed by him. I'm impressed by what he has to say. Here's the bottom line. Whirlpool is a rare bird. It's an industrial value stock after all the others, uh, the horses have left the barn. It's hard to find many of these value stocks in the industrials these days. The cyclicals, so to speak. Hey, Whirlpool cyclical, you like that? Now that the company's getting relief from brutal foreign competition, I think it's a stock that has a chance to go higher. But this is a big but. There's a reason Whirlpool has lagged the rest of the market lately. They have real operational issues. So while you certainly have my blessing to buy the stock, not for retirement money, this thing is purely for your discretionary mad money portfolio, even with its bountiful 2.4% yield. Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, you mad underdog, you. And so I'm wondering if you have any habits or rituals that you're bringing to defeat the man with the hood on Sunday. I always wear, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm the most superstitious guy in the world. I've got my, the jacket that the Eagles gave me that says Ken Kramer on it for pop. I've got my number 87 lucky Brent Selleck. I'm bringing my 20, my number 20 Dawkins sign signature. I've got the Detweiler number one Eagle. Dave, I got so much, I got to take a steamer trunk with me. What's going on? Smells like a win to me. Jim, this is big earnings week with four of the five FAANG stocks reporting. That said, I'm expecting much pin action in tech stock. Today, I want to focus on Control 4 Corp, providing business solutions for the smart and connected home. Control 4 has been early to the market on the Internet of Things, one of your investment themes. So, Jim, with a rich forward P.E. valuation at 28 and trading slightly below its 50-day moving average, your thoughts on CTRL? Dave, you got me. You've cut, you've cut me to the quick. I do not know this one. It is right in my wheelhouse. So how embarrassing is that? I missed the whirlpool and I missed this. I have more work to do. But I do like the sentiment about the Eagles. And uh, let me just say that uh, I will wear the same T-shirt underneath that I always wear for the last decade. Let's go to Trevor in Pennsylvania. That's a little inside baseball. Trevor in Pennsylvania. Trevor. Hey, how's it going? Could be uh, better. You I hope today? you're eastern Pennsylvania, not western. Yep. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today about Sprint. Uh, it said it's 52-week low, and uh, it's trading about 528. That's where I am right now. Um, 
I'm calling in regards to, I'm sure you know about the 5G technologies that we're looking for in 2020. Right. Now, we don't want to touch it. It's got a lot of debt. It's had a good run. It's kind of done. You know, we got some opportunity. Verizon's decent. T-Mobile, John Ledger's putting up decent numbers. ATT, if they get the Time Warner, would be terrific. So we're not going to mess with Sprint. It just doesn't have the balance sheet that I like. And I care tremendously about balance sheets. Right. It's hard to find a stock like Whirlpool. It's an industrial value stock. I think we stumbled on a good one. It's got a chance to head higher. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive American Electric Power. I'll find out what this interest rate environment means for this company going forward, and it's one of my faves. Then, with accusations mounting against Steve Wynn, I'll explain why the market has a face card when it comes to wind resorts. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. difficult to defy the Wall Street playbook. I tell you that all the time. I mean, what do I mean? Last year, the utilities performed pretty darn well. Even as these are exactly the kind of high-yielding dividend stocks you're supposed to sell when the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. That's the playbook, and the playbook says it's time for the utilities to go down, especially with the 10-year Treasury yield up to, points, up to 2.7%. Just a level not seen in three years. Take American Electric Power, AEP. It's the company that owns the largest power transmission network in the U.S., along with some major power generation assets. Last week, AEP reported a strong top line, good bottom line. Uh, and I got to tell you, it doesn't matter. Why? Because it only yields 3.65%. American Electric Power now remains down 10 bucks from its highs late last year. So should you view this rotation now of the utilities as a buying opportunity or is it too soon? Let's take a closer look with Nick Akins. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power. Get a better sense of how this company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be back with you, Jim. All right, Nick, why is this uh, quarter uh, like the Beatles tax man? Yeah, so the, the quarter went great. Uh, we, we reported uh, we, we, we beat the uh, earnings expectations for the quarter. Uh, load is moving back up. Uh, things are looking great. We continue according to plan. Uh, but uh, as you know, the, the sector is down considerably. Uh, but we want to make sure that AEP is positioned as part of that portfolio that you want to keep. Now, uh, one of the things I think that people have to understand is you're going to get some money, a better return with the uh, with the new tax regime. But you cite in your call that you're thinking about the about the ratepayers and how to benefit them. That's right. In our business, the regulated utilities, uh, our tax taxes are a pass through to customers. So to the extent there's tax reform, which there has been, the tax rates get lowered. That gets reflected through customer rates and our customers will benefit from that and will benefit uh, by the expansion and growth associated with it. Well, as it is, you've got some terrific industrial growth figures within your area, don't you? That's right. Uh, our industrials last quarter drew, uh, grew 5.6%. And actually, for the first time we're seeing across the board, uh, the industrials continue to grow. Our top five grew 11%, which was led by primary metals and by chemical manufacturing. So off to a great start for the year. Now, you t- uh, put a number out of how many people have been, uh, been hired in the area. I just think you should talk about that because it's pretty impressive. Yeah, there has been substantial growth. Matter of fact, our GDP in the areas that we serve uh, are exceeding the national average, and we certainly are very benefited by the number of customer counts and the people moving in. For the first time in many quarters, our residential uh, sectors have increased, so that's a, that's a great outcome for the company. But you are really a, a pretty much a depiction of America because that retail sector really getting hurt. 
Yeah, the retail sector is down. That's that's the one portion that's down. Those jobs uh, continue to the big box stores obviously are impacted uh, by what's going on in the economy. And and certainly we're seeing the effect of that. Uh, while the industrial and manufacturing continue to improve in residential, it's those those uh, retail sectors that are getting hit. All right now, you've got a huge project, this wind catcher. It's probably the, it's the, one of the biggest, biggest engineering construction uh, projects in the country. I, I was on the G, GE conference call last week. There is a bit of a collapse in the price of windmills. Are you able to benefit from that? Are you locked in? Yeah, we can benefit from that. Obviously, uh, there's there's a whole nother realm of discussion going on post-tax reform and in terms of uh, the resources themselves to accommodate this project. It's a four and a half billion dollar capital investment, largest solar farm, um, largest uh, wind farm in the country in, in western Oklahoma. And it certainly provides benefits to our customers across the board. There is no doubt uh, that this project will be beneficial across the board uh, from our from not only industrial and manufacturing, but also uh, other customers in those that four-state region that's being served. Where are we in terms of competition, uh, the price of wind uh, versus, say, uh, coal and versus natural gas? Yeah, so when you look at the price of wind compared to coal and natural gas, uh, it's still much more beneficial from an energy standpoint. If you look at it, you're, it's providing energy relative to capacity, which is meets the demand. Natural gas and coal-fired generation certainly will solve that part of the picture. But when you take the levelized energy cost, it's still, with the, with the production tax credits, uh, are very beneficial to customers. Well, okay, one last question. Can you speak to the competitiveness of our nation using your AEP grid in terms of uh, where to put a factory versus uh, anywhere else in the world? Yeah, there's no question that, 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 that the uh, energy grid that we serve uh, the large capital investments we make across the board are beneficial, not only in terms of reliability to our customers, but in terms of pricing. And the U.S. is in a great position at this point with a myriad of different uh, uh, energy uh, products that are available. And when you take natural gas and where it is today, renewables where it is, where technology is moving, along with our existing resources, that balanced set of resources provides ex- ex- exceptional benefits uh, to our customers. And in fact, uh, should be benefiting to the entire world, particularly as it relates to natural gas. All right, that's a terrific story. It's not told enough. Thank you so much, Nick Akins. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power. Yes, the stock's down, but you know why. It has to do with the playbook, not with the company. Mad Money's back here, people. It is time. It is time for the lighter round. Let's go. 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 let us why do I have to go down that food train? So I'm not going to. Why don't we go to Barb in Arizona? Barb. Hey, booyah, Jim. How are you today? I am doing well. How about you? Great, great. I have a stock I invested in uh, last summer, Aerovironment, and I'm thinking of buying more. We have Mr. Nawabi on. You know what? I got to tell you, I like that story. I, they, are, they have a rival in North Carolina. It's very, very interesting because they do a lot of uh, ag. 
These guys do ag. They do military. I think it's a win. I want them back on the show. I want to show what, what that Slayer does. Holy cow. At least in uh, not in virtually. Virtually. How about Ken in New Jersey? Ken. Jim, I would like to know what you think of CRU Prudential Financial. You know what? It's hit a tie today, and MetLife had some bad news after. Pru is not like MetLife, but the whole group take, uh, trades down. Bye, bye, bye. Let, oh, no. Let's go to Rob in Florida. Rob. Hello. Rob? Yeah. Go ahead. You're up. Yeah, Jim. Go. You're up. Yeah. I'm wanted some information on AMX, American Mobile. Yeah, Latin American Telecom now. I'm going to take a pass. It's up too much. I'm going to Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike. Mike, Mike, Mike. Yeah, hello? Hi, Mike. Yeah, this is Mike from uh, Philadelphia. Okay. Go Eagles. Go Birds. And uh, I was asking about uh, Verizon. Well, there you go. I had another uh, stock that was Telco earlier, and I would say I like Verizon better, and I reiterate, ah. something to get it down to 52 L. And that, ladies and gentlemen, up the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. much is a talented CEO worth to his company's stock? We're getting a real-life lesson in just how much leadership matters with this hideous decline in wind resorts. The stock has been tanking ever since we heard these horrible sexual abuse allegations against CEO Steve Wynn. Now, whatever else may be true about Wynn, he's been one of the greatest executives of all time. Obviously, that's not an excuse, people, but as an investor, it's something we need to reckon with. Wynn's created tremendous wealth over the years thanks to his dynamic style of leadership. I know of no other CEO who has his attention to detail or feel for what his customers really want. To be at one of Wynn's casinos is to feel like king. Now, I've only been to his Vegas properties, not his palatial Macau resorts, but trust me, wow, what a place. Historically, anyone who's bet against this man has gotten steamrolled. Back in late 2015 and in early 2016, Wynn purchased nearly $100 million worth of stock at an average price of around $60 a share. You can go back and look. He either caught the low or created the low because he was very vocal about these transactions. You could have gotten in. He told you to. Again, no one should get a pass on this stuff for being good at their job. I am not saying that. I bring all this up because now that Steve Wynn stands accused of being a sexual uh, harasser and abuser, it's a big deal for Wynn Resorts and the stock. Steve Wynn is Wynn Resorts. He's already been forced to resign as chair of the fundraising arm of the Republican National Committee, and the company itself has announced an internal investigation. The thing is, the stock's already fallen 40 points in the wake of the scandal, from a high of 203 on Thursday, down to 163 as of today. Can one man really be that important to this institution? Has the stock already fallen far enough that it's a buy at these levels? I mean, Wynn's built an amazing casino empire, especially in Macau. Wouldn't it be just fine even if he stepped down tomorrow? I mean, nobody lives forever. Not so fast. When I said Steve Wynn is Wynn Resorts, I wasn't kidding. There are two problems here, the Nevada and the Massachusetts Gaming Commissions, and they could make life hell from Wynn's expansion plans. The company's supposed to open its gigantic Boston Harbor Casino next year, but now that, that has got to be endowed, especially given Wynn's fealty to the Republican Party in a very Democratic state. I'm sure the Massachusetts Gaming Commission would love to lose Wynn but keep that casino and all those jobs. It's going to put tremendous pressure on the board of directors to fire the guy. The Gaming Commission statement that it's aware of the allegations and taking them very seriously doesn't bode well for Wynn. 
Wynn's board of directors is filled with people who are independently wealthy, meaning they're not the kind of board members who are only in it for the paycheck. One reason why so many corporate boards are so deferential to the CEOs. The board has the ability to fire Wynn if it looks like this story is going to jeopardize his substantial building plans in Vegas or Boston. I've heard some people arguing that this is a win-win scenario. Either Steve Wynn is cleared and got a viable dip, or he isn't cleared and some Chinese hotelier steps up and buys the whole company for $25 billion, a major premium from its current $16.8 billion market cap. These are the dreamers. I don't see it that way, though. If you go over the conference call transcripts, it's very clear that when you're, bu- when you're buying this stock, you're buying the unparalleled leadership of one man, of Steve Wynn. Without him, it's just another chain with no leader. And even if they find a great successor, I can't see anyone else running them as well as, as Steve Wynn runs them. Plus, I can't imagine the Nevada or Massachusetts gaming commissions would be cool with a Chinese company buying Wynn Resorts. Check that. Hey, speaking of China, Wynn does most of its business in Macau, and they need to renegotiate these licenses next year. You better believe the People's Republic will make them pay for the scandal in cold, hard cash. So where do I come down? When there's this much indecision and the stock has run so much since the bottom, even though it's come down from the top, I have to take a pass. You know what? You got a 17. The market has a face card. I actually don't want to see what's underneath it. Stick with Craig. It's big week. Speaking for retirement, good time to start putting a little money in if you haven't done so this year. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.